I'd like to invite you to turn your Bibles at this time to the book of Philippians, the book of Philippians. Uh, and today we will be looking at the Word of God on the subject of what it takes to have a thankful heart. The secret to a thankful heart is through contentment. And we'll be looking at the Apostle Paul and what he has to share about the subject of contentment. Secret to a thankful heart. And we'll be looking at Philippians chapter 4, verses 10 through 19. Philippians 4, 10 through 19. Our scripture reading will come from that passage. Philippians chapter 4, verses 10 through 19. The text of the Word of God reads... But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, that now at last you have revived your concern for me. You were concerned before, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak from want, but I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know how to get along with humble means, and I also know how to live in prosperity. For in any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Nevertheless, you have done well to share with me in my affliction. You yourselves also know, Philippians, that at the first preaching of the gospel after I left Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving but you alone. For even in Thessalonica you sent a gift more than once for my needs. Not that I seek the gift itself, but I seek for the profit which increases to your account. But I have received everything in full and have an abundance. I am amply supplied, having received from Epaphroditus what you have sent, a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. And my God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Now to our God and Father be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Let's bow together in a word of prayer. Our God in heaven, we give you thanks for the reading of your word. And we pray, O oh God, that this Thanksgiving might be one in which we would find contentment in whatever circumstance we are in. May that be, O oh Father, something that we can learn, that we might have a heart of gratitude to you ever and always. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, Thanksgiving is one of my favorite times of the year. In fact, it might be, might be my favorite holiday. And part of the reason is, is that Thanksgiving gives us the opportunity to reflect really on all that God is and all that God has done without much of the trappings of the commercialism that our culture sees. Of course, that has become much less so now that Black Friday is arriving and all of the ads seem to be on TV and in the newspaper. One of the things, though, that those things create in our own lives is something that robs us of having a thankful heart, of something that robs us of having a thankful heart, and that is discontentment. Discontentment 
comes when we look at what we have or look at our life circumstances, when we compare and we feel as if we have gotten the short end of the stick. And we fail to see things from God's point of view and we are looking at our own. There was a missionary explorer whose name was David Livingston. He was a very, very famous missionary to Africa. He served in Africa from 1840 until 1873. Well, he had a heart for Africa. He wanted to go into Central Africa, eager to travel into these uh, lands that no one had been before, where the gospel had not gone. And on one occasion, this particular missionary came upon a territory that was ruled by a tribal chieftain. And this tribal chieftain, according to the custom of the day, you were, if you wanted to enter into the land, to lay out everything that you owned in front of him. And after you did, he would have the right to take anything that you had. And then he would give you something in return. And so David Livingston, he didn't have much, but the things that he had were treasured by him. He had his books, he had his clothes, he had a watch, and he had a goat. The goat he had because he had stomach problems with drinking the water in Africa, and so the goat provided milk, something that he could drink. So he placed all of these things in front of the tribal chieftain, and he came, and of all things, he took his goat. Well, David Livingston felt sort of uncomfortable, felt sort of badly, because what the chieftain gave back to him was this stick that was more or less a walking stick. He thought to himself how inequitable that trade was, perhaps, and he was complaining to God. Here he had given up a goat in which he wouldn't be able to drink the water, and yet what would he do with a stick a walking stick of all things, sort of a cane-like thing. His discontentment boiled in his heart as he talked with God about it. What could he do? That wasn't a fair trade. And then one of the local men, one of the local men who was there in Africa explained it to him. He said to him, quote, that's not a walking cane. It's the king's very own Scepter, And with that scepter, you will find entrance into every village in our country. The king has honored you in a very great way. And that man was right. God opened Central Africa to David Livingston, and evangelist after evangelist would come in, wave after wave of people would come in after David Livingston, and people came to know the Lord Jesus, and conversions occurred, and God was glorified. Who would have thought that a stick, a stick would have opened the doors to people's hearts? Oftentimes we see things in a particular way, and we say, what a dumb stick I've gotten. That Thing, what am I going to do? You know, the Lord has given to us different things in different situations, different circumstances, and yet we think to ourselves, can we appreciate what God has granted to us? Contentment comes when we see things from God's point of view and not our own. True contentment is something that many Christians simply do not understand because our level 
Our level of contentment is dependent upon often our circumstances. What happens to us in life? What we have or our job or our security or our family or whatever it may be. And those come and go depending on how well things go. But in our text today, Paul, Paul outlines for us the secret to contentment, the secret to a heart that is grateful. Here he writes to this church at Philippi, uh, a church that he really loved, a church that he himself planted. He writes to thank them for the gift that they sent to him because they sent him a gift through a messenger called Epaphroditus, verse 18. They had sent him perhaps clothes or money or food or whatever. And he expresses his gratitude in verse 10. He rejoiced in the Lord, he says, greatly, that now at last you have revived your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned before, but you lacked opportunity. That church was planted by Paul. We don't know if they didn't know of his circumstance. We don't know. Perhaps they, didn't, they weren't able to give because 2 Corinthians 8 tells us that they were a very impoverished church. We don't know. Maybe they didn't have the opportunity to have the means. But now they revive their concern. And that word pictures a flower that has come back into bloom. They revive their concern and they sent a gift to this missionary that they loved. His name was Paul. It received that gift. And he says in verse 18, I've received everything in full. And he looks at it and he says, I'm amply supplied. Having received from Epaphroditus what you've sent, a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice while pleasing to God. When you give a gift to someone else because you want God to be honored, it's an offering. Paul sees it as a sacrifice, as God sees it, an acceptable sacrifice, an aroma, a thing that pleases God when we give. Notice that that gift was given, supplied his needs, he's amply supplied, and he praises God. And here he delineates in this passage from verse 11 through 19, three keys that help us to have a thankful heart, to have a heart that is overflowing with gratitude towards God. Three keys. And the first one we look at here in verse 11 is that we need to learn to be content in all circumstances. To be content in all circumstances. Verse 11. If you look at your Bibles, he says, Not that I speak from want, for I've learned to be content in whatever circumstances I'm in. I know how to get along with humble means. I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. In the passage, Paul says he has learned to be content. It's not something that comes naturally to you and I. It's not something that comes easy to you and I. In fact, oftentimes, we may be prone to complaining, to comparing, to think that we're entitled to something and we're not grateful, we're not thankful. We let our circumstances dictate our feelings. We let our circumstances get the better of us rather than rising above our circumstances. And sometimes we use our circumstances as an excuse, as an excuse to justify a bad attitude. Well, if so-and-so didn't do this or that, I wouldn't be so upset. Or so-and-so made me so mad. See, I chose to be mad, didn't I? They didn't make me mad. I could choose not to. Or if the economy hadn't tanked, I wouldn't be drinking myself and my problems away. 
Or if my family would show me some respect, I wouldn't be so angry. We use our circumstances as justifications for our sinful attitudes, don't we? We blame others for sin in our own lives. But the scriptures say, just as Paul says, that he learned to be content no matter what his circumstances are, no matter what his situation is. Because, you see, whatever situation you're in, you can control your attitude and your perspective. Your attitude and your perspective. No matter what happens around you, you can control how you look at things, how you choose to see things, and your attitude. We can't control things that happen to us. Many times we can't control how others will react. We can't control other people, but we can control how we respond in our attitude and our perspective. Maybe you've lost a job. Maybe you've had a lot of money that you've lost or an opportunity. Or maybe you've had a tragedy in your life. Or maybe you've been mistreated. Maybe you have been hurt by someone else. You've been offended. Life simply hasn't turned out like you had planned. You can choose how you're going to look at that. You can choose the attitude you're going to have. Paul, of all people, knew what that was like. If you turn with me into the book of Acts, the book of Acts, let's look at the life of Paul in Acts chapter 9. In his own life, as he is one who was well familiar with having a difficult life. Acts chapter 9, verse 23. Here is Paul. And in his life, it says in Acts chapter 9, verse 23, when many days had elapsed, the Jews plotted together to do away with him, but their plot became known to Saul. That was Paul's former name. They were also watching the gates day and night so that they might put him to death. He had turned to Christ. Paul was on the Jewish top 10 most wanted hit list. There was a mob that wanted to kill him. Then in Acts chapter 14, Acts chapter 14, verse 19. At Lystra, on his very first missionary trip, it says in Acts 14, verse 19, but Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having won over the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing him to be dead. And the stones they used weren't like these river rock that we have out there, the one and a half inch. These were stones that were big. And they were stones in which they used to stone people to death. And they thought he was dead. They dragged him outside of the city. And verse 20, what did he do? Well, the disciples stood around him, probably wondering what they were going to do. And it says in verse 20, he got up and he entered the city. The next day, he went away with Barnabas and Derby, and after he preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying, through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. After a group of people had stoned him, dragged him outside of the city to leave him for dead, he gets up. And he goes back to the city. Later on, he returns to continue his ministry. 
contentment, no matter what the circumstances, because the needs of those people were so great, just like the needs of people that we know who don't know Christ. Here he is. Acts 16, 22. Acts 16, verse 22. It says a couple of chapters later that the crowd rose up, it says in Acts 16, 22, together against them, and the chief magistrates tore their robes off of them and proceeded to order them to be beaten with rods. To be beaten with rods. When they had struck them with many blows, they threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to guard them securely. And he, having received such a command, threw them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. They were beaten with rods and imprisoned. So there was a plot to kill him. They stoned him. Here he was beaten with rods. Acts 17, next chapter over. Verse 4. And some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas as they were preaching the gospel. Some were persuaded to join them. A number of the leading women, a number of the God-fearing Greeks. But the Jews became jealous and taking along some wicked men from the marketplace, formed a mob and set the city in an uproar. And they attacked the house of Jason. They were seeking to bring them out to the people. There was a mob that they caused such an uproar. And then in verse 13, verse 13 of 17, but when the Jews of Thessalonica found out that the word of God had been proclaimed by Paul in Berea also, they came there as well, agitating and stifling up the crowds. There he was, living on the run. Verse 18 through 34, it chronicles how he was mocked, how he was ridiculed. And yet, he found in this a contentment. Then in Acts 18, continuing on, he was dragged to court, verse 12 of 18. In Acts 21, verse 26, while in Jerusalem, he was attacked and beaten by the Jews. And then in Acts 27, at the end of his ministry, he was shipwrecked. And 2 Corinthians tells us of the things that he went through. Chapter eleven twenty-three, And he tells and chronicles how he had been in far more imprisonment, beaten times without number, often in danger of death. Five times he received from the Jews 39 lashes. That's just shy of 200 lashes. Three times beaten with rods. Once he was stoned, three times he was shipwrecked, spent the night in the sea. He was in fear of robbers, danger from his own people, even from the Gentiles whom he was trying to reach. He stayed in the wilderness, lived on the sea, danger from false teachers, laboring, and the burden of the church was always on him. This was the type of life that he had. And yet he writes to the Philippian church, I have learned to be content in whatever circumstance I am in. Would you be able to say that? Would you be able to say that? We learn to be content no matter what it might be. I mean, some people at the slightest criticism, for example, are ready to quit. Oh, they didn't like that dish I made. I'll never for them again. Or, oh, they criticized that event I planned. That's the last time I'm planning something for them. Or they say, after a trip, a missions trip, oh, it's too hot. It's too cold. Too many mosquitoes. Too many flies. No enough bathrooms. Too little 
Too little rest. No air conditioning. Food is too strange. It's too humid. It's too wet. Too blank. I'm not going back. Would you be able to learn to be content and say, well, you know, in that part of the world, that's how they live. And by God's grace, if he desires me to, I'll go back. No matter what the circumstance may be. Is that how you are? There was a woman named Fanny Crosby who wrote a number of old hymns. Many of them you're familiar with. But when she was only six weeks old, there was a country doctor who thought he was treating her with eye drops and put these drops into her eyes of the wrong thing and it blinded her at six weeks. But her attitude was this. At the age of eight years old, how many of you are eight years old here? Any of you eight years old? There you go, right over there. This is what she wrote. She wrote a little poem and said, Oh, what a happy child I am, although I cannot see. I am resolved that in this world, contented I will be. She went on to serve the Lord and write many of the songs that became well-known hymns. As Paul writes, For momentary light affliction produces for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. In other words, the things that we suffer now, in the future, there is for us an eternal weight of glory. Would we be able to say, like Fanny Crosby, who was blind, could we be able to say, contented I will be, that is my resolve? We choose our attitude. We choose our perspective. In one story, long ago, a number of years ago, came out of the Seattle Times. It was about a family right over there in Kingston. A woman named Roseanne. She had raised her daughters alone on a small income over in Kingston. Since her husband had died from this time, it would have been about 15 years ago or so. She lived in a modest house lived on two and a half acres at the end of this dirt road, her and her daughters. And that house caught on fire. And the insurance company could not pay them or didn't pay them enough to rebuild the house. So her and her daughters moved into a a storage shed. Roseanne and her daughters lived there in that storage shed. That storage shed didn't have running water, didn't have plumbing, They used an outhouse. They cooked with a microwave oven. They took cold showers in a travel trailer. Her coworkers and the students at the junior high found out, and the principal there, the assistant principal, said, we're a family, and they raised $2,000 for them to try to help them out. But she would often decline offers of help, and she rarely spoke of her troubles. Her girls, you can imagine, living in a little shed, well, there was no place to take friends and no place for a sleepover. There was no place because uh, midnight giggling would have been right next to mom who was in the next bunk bed over. They declined, it said in the article, help and rarely spoke of her troubles, unquote. Is that how you and I would be? 
Would we rarely speak of our troubles if it were such that we didn't have running water or plumbing or didn't have proper heating, had to take cold showers in a travel trailer, or we would feel discontent? Well, this was back when there was that TV show called Extreme Makeover Home Edition. They were selected. Sentex, Kevin Scott, designed their home. And he said, never before had he had clients whose only wish was that their house would have indoor plumbing and bedrooms. Sometimes we forget to be thankful for the simple things that God has given to us because we take them for granted. Things like plumbing, heat, and a bedroom until it is no longer there. Would we be able to be content in any and all circumstances? The second thing that Paul mentions here in verse 13 is that he needs, person needs to trust in God's strength, to trust in God's strength if we're to be grateful people. I can do all things through Christ or through him who strengthens me. Sometimes this verse is taken out of context when somebody wants to achieve something, any old thing. But here in this context, it is that of being able to have an attitude, a perspective, to be content. No matter what the physical distress might be, it is in the context of a physical distress, not a spiritual one. Whether we're rich or poor, whether we're cold or hungry, whether we're warm, full, we can be content because God strengthens us. Terry Muck writes an article entitled, Thankful in a Thankless World. And that article talks about a couple who was a missionary couple, Franklin and Felita Nelson. They went to Burma in 1940 when... They served the Lord there for eight and a half years. That's before the government closed the doors to entrance into Burma. They returned to the United States, and Franklin served in several churches and various pastoral roles. They said, well, in Burma, they worked among remote tribes, and Franklin found his sense of gratitude for God's providence rekindled. And when he was reflecting on his missionary work, this is what he said. In the Burmese hill country, the only way to get to remote villages by, was by shank mare. That's walking. It was not at all uncommon, he says, for me to walk 20 miles a day in the dry season. When I got back to the States and worked as a pastor and a church leader, I rarely walked a mile a day. The telephone and car made walking unnecessary. In Burma, if one of us got sick, the nearest hospital was 10 days away. In the States, medical care is minutes away. In Burma, we'd go months without bread. Once we asked our daughter Karen to say grace before a meal, and she said, Why do I have to pray for my daily bread when... I don't ever get any, unquote. That was when they were in Burma. I've often coveted that experience for our youngest daughter, who never had to wonder where her food came from. It's hard to have that sense of helplessness and humility so vital to prayer when you sit down to your daily bread and don't even think about how you got it. 
I don't in any way, he writes, blame people here for not knowing what God can do. We're victims of our prosperity. But sometimes I wish we had a few more times so people, more hard times, so people could experience firsthand how wonderful it is to be totally dependent upon God, unquote. That's very true, isn't it? Often we think the more we'd have, the more grateful we'd be. Many times it's the opposite. When we don't have, we can be more thankful knowing that we are so undeserving before God for what we do have. More content. More content. So we're to be content in all circumstances. So we're to rely on the strength of God. And thirdly, we're to be concerned more about others than ourselves. If we're going to have a thankful heart, we're to be more concerned about others than ourselves. Verses 14 through 19, Paul gives thanks to them. And he says, not that I seek the gift itself, but I seek for the profit which increases to your account. And my God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. They shared in his ministry and he gives thanks. He says, I have all that I need, but I am thankful for I seek it on your profit, your benefit. They gave, they were blessed. They gave and God would reward them. And that is one of the principles of Scripture. When we give to others, we are blessed, not materially necessarily, but in a way that God chooses. We will be blessed. And He would supply all of their needs. God will meet your needs, whatever it is this Thanksgiving. You may look at your circumstances, your health, what you have, and you may say it is hard to give thanks. But God will meet our needs. God will meet our needs, and we all have more than we deserve. And as Paul says here, those who would be thankful should be like him, to focus more on the needs of others than on themselves. You know, shortly after Vicki entered the hospital a month ago, it's been a month already, in the intensive care unit, I remember visiting, it was early on when she had a tube down her throat to help her to breathe. And there were times, small periods of times, when she was conscious. And when she was conscious in those early days, she would communicate by writing, writing on a pad. And it would be kind of scribbled because she would be semi-sedated. She was very weak and she was tired and she would write a sentence to me and then fall back on her pillow. And then she would write again. Early on, when we were talking, and she was writing, and I would respond, you know what one of the first things she wrote was? It wasn't, I sure would want to get out of here, or I sure want to go home, or I have a headache, or whatever it may be. One of the first things she wrote was, how are the youth doing? in their choir practice. (laughs) That's how she's always been. She's always been someone who is not self-absorbed, but others-oriented. If you've been here for any length of time, especially before we purchased this building, you wouldn't be able to come for very long without her handing you a plate of food. 
always other-oriented. She wasn't characterized by selfishness, dissatisfaction. No, she was others-oriented. That's the mind of a person who thinks about others and their needs and is grateful. The person who, on the other hand, is discontent, who is ungrateful, is fixated on self, not others. They're fixated on how they feel, how they are doing. They're self-focused, self-centered, selfish, and they continue to swim in the sea about what would make them happy, how much more do they want. They cannot be grateful for any length of time. The discontent person focuses on themselves, like the man who was so discontent because he had no shoes. That is, until he met the man who had no feet. A thankful heart comes not from pleasing ourselves to be so self-absorbed, but unpleasing God and looking to the benefit of others. Be content with what God has given to you. There's a new story in the L.A. Times about a fire that swept through Southern California a number of years ago. And in that new story, a half a million acres burned, displacing about a half a million people from their homes. 2,000 homes destroyed. But in Rancho Bernardo, there was a Presbyterian church. And in that church, there were 60 families. All of them had lost their home. And they gathered together on a Sunday to worship and to give thanks. None of them had a home anymore. It all burned to the ground. The article in the paper said they gave thanks for big things, for lives saved, for families, for friendships. They also gave thanks for small things, a hug, a shoulder to cry on. Barbara Borden, she was one of those victims of the fire. She sifted through the salvaged things and she found some boxes of photos And her grandfather's cuckoo clock, she too was very thankful. No one was hurt in her family, in her community. And on the Sunday, the Saturday before the Sunday service, as she was searching, she found something that her husband had given to her, a sundial. And on that sundial, it was engraved these words, Grow old along with me, the best is yet to be. And she said, that says it all, doesn't it? We have a lot to be thankful for. That says it all. You know, one of the worst things that will rob you of a thankful heart is when we are filled with our own troubles. When we focus on what we don't have, we focus on what we could have, we think we should have something. What others have makes us feel discontent, and we forget all of the things that we do have. When it is God who reminds us to be content in all circumstances, to focus on God's strength who helps our heart to realize what we do have and be concerned about others more than ourselves. As he says to us, in effect, grow old along with me. The best is yet to be. Let's bow in a word of prayer. Our God in heaven, we give you thanks for you, for what you have done for your Son, for your grace, for your word, which is eternal. We give you thanks, O God. In Jesus' most precious name, amen.